Thank you for joining us today for the Restoration Church podcast. This is the second in our remix series, and it is called the Gospel to Remix Prayer Life. We hope you enjoy. Kids transition out. Older kids, first through fifth grade this way. Younger kids that way. Um, follow the signs. Sweet. Good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. If you are a first-time guest here with us, special welcome to you. Um, we had a great launch last week, and I see a lot of faces back this week, and so that's cool. I'm really excited you guys came back, and we're excited about the possibility of everyone in this room being part of a family, a family that is on mission in this city, pursuing intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. And so thank you so much for visiting. If you are a first-time guest and you did not get a gift bag when you walked in, make sure you visit that table. And then everybody, I want to encourage you all to go and visit the Next Steps table after the service to get plugged in about how we can get you involved in a depth group that pursues intimacy with one another, and then how we can live on mission through missional communities, okay? Got a question for you. We're just going to jump right into it, get real deep. We're going to be real, real for a few minutes. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you longed more than anything for someone to just get you? Like, to really understand you, without you having to put words to everything and explain things in great detail, you just wanted to be understood. Anybody? Maybe it's with your spouse, right? Maybe you're married and you've been going through something or there's some tension in your marriage and you're just like, why do I have to explain everything? You're like, we've been married for 80 years. You should know me by now, right? I mean, you should understand what, what I'm thinking and I wish I just didn't have to voice everything. Or maybe it's your parents, right? You're coming home from school and you're dealing with a bully at school or you're dealing with uh, challenges uh, in classes. You might not be getting the test scores you know your parents want. And so you're showing, you're showing a sign of discouragement, but your parents are just like, how was school today? It was good. It was, it was all right. All right, cool. Well, bye. See you in a little bit. Go do your homework. You know, they just kind of they move you along and you're just like, I wish you would just ask that next level question. Go just a little deeper with me. Really? Not just empathize, but sympathize with what I'm struggling with. I wish you would just get me. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have that kind of parents. Maybe you just have friends that way. You've been out with your friends. You're out at the coffee bar, and you're all sitting around talking, and you're not your normal self because you're heavy laden. And you've got a lot on your mind, a lot on your brain, and you're talking to them. And, and then they get up and like, well, let's go over here and have dinner. And so usually you're like leading the pack, but you're walking a few steps behind. And your friend says, are you Okay. You're like, yeah, I'm okay. They're like, okay, good, because you're kind of bumming me out. Let's go, let's move on, right? What you really wish they would have said is, you're not acting okay. Are you really, really okay? Anybody experienced that? I have a lot in my life. Well, the Scripture has something to tell us about a God who gets us. A God who is able to do more than just empathize, but able to sympathize with us. That, that, that longing, that friend, that spouse, that, that parent we've always wanted, we've always been looking for in those times of suffering, Scripture tells us that we have a God that gets us. So if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 4 with me, we're going to dig in a little bit. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you don't have your Bible, it should be on the screen. If you have your phone, open your Bible app. You're welcome to use your phones. Um, here we go. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points or in all ways tempted as we are, yet was without sin. 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. This is the second week of a new series that we're doing called Remix. Last week we started it off. We saw that there are so many barriers to intimacy and relationship with God and with one another in this world and that through the gospel, Jesus obliterated all the barriers. Right? He came and He made a way for us to be united with God, to give us a special access. And so what the point of this text is today and what we're going to really dig into is the fact that Jesus has given us not just special access, but access to the ear of God. Right? We can talk to Him. We have unfettered, unrestricted access to the throne of grace. And we now, with a life remixed by the gospel, can communicate directly with God. In the Old Testament, there was a system set up to deal with God. Right? If you can think back to Old Testament study, maybe you're not familiar with this, so I'm going to lay it out pretty clear, but there was a system set up of priests and individuals, people who communicated to God for the masses, right? So we think about Moses, right? Moses had a special standing with God. He spoke to God on a mountain with the burning bush. He, he, he saw God. He knew who he was. He had verbal communication with God. He was given a mission. He went to Israel, I mean to Egypt, and he said, let my people go. Eventually, after a long period of time, Pharaoh let the people go, and then they went out into the desert and Moses was the man who would go up on the mountain and meet with God. Moses was the man who would go into the tent of meeting and come out and his face would shine. They'd have to put a veil over him because he was in the presence and the glory of God. And then that, that position of being that inter, intercessor, that intermediate between God and people was passed on to his brother Aaron. And he became known as the high priest. right? And then from that point on, God set up this system of sacrifice, the system of communion between him and the people and there was already, always an intermediary. There was always a high priest. Right? And that person had a special job. On Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they would have a long period of ritualistic cleaning. They'd clean themselves. And then they put on this special garb that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it had bells at the bottom of the, the dress that he would wear because he was going into a place that if he stopped moving, they'd pull him out. Right? Because he died. He was in the presence of God. He died. So he had bells on the bottom of his feet and he, this ornate dress and, and this ritualistic cleaning so that he could go into a place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a segregated place in the tent of meeting or in the tabernacle or the temple that was segregated by a two foot thick veil, right, cloth, two feet thick. And it was the holy place where the priests would gather and do sacrifices and there were specific things in the temple and then there was the Holy of the Holy Places. The most pure. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant. And above the Ark of the Covenant were the two cherubim that they had their, arm, their wings stretched out and it made like what appeared to be a throne, a seat. And they called that the mercy seat. And this, this, this high priest would go in once a year and offer blood sacrifice on the mercy seat. Sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And that was a sign, God, death has been paid for our sin. Right? Something died for our sin. And this whole elaborate system was set up to point to one person, Jesus. The whole system was set up to point to the great high priest. We know this because, one, Hebrews just told us that Jesus is the great high priest, right? Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. How, what made Jesus the great high priest? Why, why does he get this special status? 
Because he not only offered sacrifice, but he offered the final perfect sacrifice for all mankind. He stood in the place, right? He offered himself. He was fully God, fully man. He was without sin. He was the perfect, most pure sacrifice that could be offered to God on behalf of man. And he gave his own life on the cross as a payment for our sin penalty. He offered the perfect sacrifice. But that's not all he did, right? Not only did he offer the perfect sacrifice, but on the day of his death, after his last breath, Lord, I commit to you my spirit. And he breathed his last breath. And there was what? What happened in the earth? According to the scriptures. Anybody know? It was darkness and an earthquake. And that earthquake shook the whole world. Right? It's funny. You can, you can read in Chinese text of a solar eclipse that happened at the beginning of the crucifixion of God. And then when, when at the time of the death of Christ, it had, the sun had risen above the, the horizon in a place where it, was a, it blackened the whole area of the world. Right? So all over the world there was darkness. An abnormal solar eclipse. Darkness. And then there was this earthquake that was felt and recorded in history. And during that earthquake at the temple, that veil that had separated man from God, that was that symbol, 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 symbolic, I'm going to get it, symbolic separation was torn from the top to the bottom. Now that's, that's pretty amazing. Two feet thick of cloth, <laughs> torn from the top to bottom. Not from bottom to top, not like it was just separated and opened up. No, it was ripped from top to bottom. And so, and no, it wasn't nowhere in the scriptures that record that the priest dropped dead because they were suddenly in the presence of God, right? But that, that, that day of that system, that system of sacrifice ended with the sacrifice of Christ because he was the great high priest. He offered himself in our place. And because he is the great high priest, he gave us access to God. No longer is there a holy place where God dwells and not, we don't have access to him and we have to go through an intermediary. Now, that was symbolic. I dwell in the hearts of the believers. I'm coming and putting my spirit in you. I'm giving you a new heart. I'm writing my law on your, on your life. I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit who is going to come and live with you. And Jesus talked when he rose from the dead. He told his disciples, wait, there's a helper coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he will be in you and be with you. And he will comfort you and he will guide you and he will fill you with power. Right? And now we have absolute, unfettered, unrestricted access to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. That should remix our lives. Right? When we think about it, that should tear us up a little bit. Whoa. Like, the whole world existed in this, this separation from God, and then Jesus died, and now through the work of the high priest, the great high priest, I can talk directly to God. I no longer have to go to a priest and say, hey, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You need to go take that to God and then come back and tell me what my repentance is. Right? I mean, like, we don't have to go through an intermediary. We go straight to the throne of grace and receive mercy in a time of need. That should remix our prayer life. That should tear us up. Today I want to talk to you about how that, that new access produces an intimacy that is best expressed and experienced through communication with God. It's best expressed and experienced through prayer. That's what we call communi- talking to God, prayer in the church, right? So, and how is our prayer life remixed by the gospel? How, how does knowing our, our position before God really change how we talk to God? And has it? That's the bigger question. Has it? Have we, have we adopted a pattern of, of praying that does not align with our position as sons and daughters of God? Have we adopted saying certain things because we learned it in church, or we learned it from our parents, or we learned it from their, our grandparents that don't necessarily line up with the truth of what the Scripture says? 
And so I want us to remix our prayer life in three ways, right? I'm going to say them, and then you've got to repeat them. You ready? This interactive worship. I feel, you reveal, I will. All right, say it again with some enthusiasm. I feel, you reveal, I will. You got it. There we go. Let's start with I feel. Because we have access to God, we have access to be completely authentic and vulnerable with Him. We don't have to put on a religious veil to our prayers where we think we have to say the right things or we have to go through the right pattern. We can just straight up go to our Father who gave His life to make us His son and His daughter. We can go to Him and say, this is how I feel. I'm struggling. I'm having problems. And some of us need to start praying, right? We, we, maybe you, you don't pray because you're just scared to pray. You're scared to get it wrong. You're scared to say the wrong thing. So maybe that's, you don't pray in public because you're like, well, everybody else prays great, miraculous prayers, and I, I, I just, I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong stuff. We start with I feel. Right? When I was growing up in, in Sunday school and in church, I, I learned some acronyms to teach me how to pray. Right? Acts. Anybody know that one? Right? A is for adoration. We praise God for who He is. C, we can confession. We confess our sins to God that we are not like Him. He is holy and we are not. And then T is thanksgiving. We, we thank Him for the mercy and the grace we've received and the love that He's shown us. And S is suppl- nicely done. You guys got this down. Somebody paid attention in Sunday school. Supplication. That's when we start making requests. <laughs> you paid attention later in life. Um, we, we go to supplication. We start asking God. We tell Him how, what we really need. Hey, God, this is what I'm struggling with. Would you come through with, for me in this moment? Right? So we, we start with Acts. Another one that we learned was joy. Anybody remember joy? Jesus, others, yourself. Right? Like, praise God. Start with God. In all prayers, God, start with God. Who God is. Start with Him. Even the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, it starts with God. God, we acknowledge you. Others, get off the selfish train, right? Father, let me talk to you about, about other people. And I, I want to lift up other people and then yourself. Now that we've gotten through the proper course of things and we've talked about you and other people, let's really get to the business of why I'm here, right? I mean, then we go to yourself. Let's be honest, right? So this is, this is how we start praying. We start with our feel. We start to communicate our authentic, raw emotions to God, and then we learn a religious way to do it, right? And we we grow up in church, we learn a religious way to do it, a proper pattern that you have to follow. And if we stay at I feel, we will develop timid and weak prayer lives. If we stay at I feel, we won't grow in intimacy with God. Think of it like this. Um, Go back to your high school days. Some of you are in your high school days, right? Go back to that first boy or that first girl you had a crush on. The first one that actually said, yes, I will go out with you. Or we can start talking, you know, whatever that means. Um, And I want you to imagine this couple, boy and a girl, they're juniors in high school, they're so in love, you know, they love each other. And he's got to wake up on Saturday morning and go take the SATs, right? So he calls his girlfriend, she's already gone to bed, she's super studious, he's not. He calls and says, hey baby boo, how you doing girl, what's up? I love you. So, I got to go take the SATs in the morning. I'm kind of freaking out. Um, okay, well, pray for me if you get around to it or something. You might, you might not. I don't, I don't really know, but I just, I love you, baby boo, sweetie pie, sugar. You know, like your, your, the voicemail ran out, right? It's like, that's, that's what she heard. 
it's good. It's a good start, right? I mean, we expect that in the dating relationship. We express some raw, unassured, timid, like, will you maybe possibly pray for me? I'm not sure if you can remember that. I mean, I'm a little nervous, but I'm not that bad. I wish you were there. I wish you could write the English paper for me, but since you're not, I guess I'll fail, but it's cool. We'll never get to college. You'll probably go marry some jock, and I'll be off forever, you know, like, whatever. It's timid. It's without power. It's without passion, but it's the way you start, right? And it's nothing wrong with starting there. The problem is if we stay there. If that is the communication that they have, let's say they actually start dating through college, right? They actually, he passed the SATs, he got a good score, they went to the same college, they were dating, then they got married, right? And let's say he's got something going on at work, and he calls his wife, he's like, hey, baby boo, I was just kind of having a bad day, and I was just wondering if you could maybe possibly pray, I don't know if you will, you're probably busy too. Like, what if that was the communication, the level of intimacy he had with his wife? What if that's as far as it went? If it was just an expression of feeling, but it had no certainty, it had no power. It had no boldness. We can't stop at I feel. We can't stop with the religious part of prayer. We've got to move on to intimacy. And intimacy builds boldness. When you know you are deeply loved, when you know you are cared about, you come boldly. And you say, this is it. So let's, let's, let's go with a mature, a mature male, right? He's, he's dated this girl, they married, they've got two kids. He went to med school, he's about to go take his state boards, right? I mean, it's a nervous thing. They say they live out in Asheville and he had to fly to Raleigh, so the wife couldn't come with him, so he calls her up. And his prayer life changes, because now he's had intimacy with this woman. He loves her, he knows her, she knows him. They've had history together, they've walked with one another, they move past dating into marriage and commitment. They are, they are intimately connected, and he calls her and he says this, Hey, sweetheart, I love you. I just got to the hotel, um, doing pretty good. Listen, I just want to say thank you for being my partner in this. Thanks for being my wife. We've made it. We made it. We made it through med school. We made it through internships and through fellowships, and we've made it. And now we're going we're gonna to do this state board. I say we because you stayed up late with me and studied. You took care of the kids while I had to go do clinicals. We did this together. We're here. But I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous. But this is what I know. I know without fear, I'm going to go through this board no matter what happens. You're going to love me, and I'm going to come home, and I'm going to see you. I'm going to pick up our kids, I'm going to hug them. I'm excited to see what happens. That's boldness, right? That's some assurance. That's not, maybe you could possibly pray for me. That's like, I know you are with me. Even though you're not physically here, you are with me because we've done this together. There's an intimate connection between this and this process. There's boldness. We've got to move to boldness. And the way we move to boldness and, and more intimacy is through you reveal. Right? I feel. You reveal. You reveal. How do we get to, how do we get to you reveal? We start to test. We start to test ourselves against the Scripture. We bring our complaints to God. Right? Our complaints meaning our supplication. Our real raw emotions, our complaints. J.I. Packer talks about this kind of complaining in a book by Tim Keller. It's called, you'll never guess what the title is. Ready? Prayer. Right, Tim Keller, Prayer. Go look it up, it's a good book. He quotes J.I. Uh, Packer. And he says, Packer says this kind of complaining, this bringing request to God. He comes right and calls it this type of petitioning, complaining. He admits that no one likes people who whine or complain. 
but points out that in the Bible, when bad things happen to people, they complain with great freedom and at considerable length to their God. And Scripture does not seem to regard this as anything else but wisdom. You hear that? That complaining, that raw, emotional talk to God is wisdom. We're, just, we're enacting what we know to be true. God cares about me. I'm in the presence of the Holy, the holy of Holies. He's with me. I can go to the throne of grace and find mercy in time of need. I'm just going to be authentic and raw. It's wisdom. He goes on to note that the plaintiff question, God, how long? Is, is, is asked about 20 times in the prayers of the psalm. And it's a technical sign of complaining prayer. Right? We, we see a guy that was a man after God's own heart, David, the psalmist. He goes, God, seriously? How long are you going to make me suffer under my enemy? How long must I wait? How long until you show up? How, like, right? that, that whole complaining prayer. And David is doing it right. He had a pattern, right? He came with, I feel, and it was authentic, it was raw, but then it moved to, you reveal. You moved to, you reveal. Prayer is not a one-sided complaining session. It's not just us going and telling God what the problem is. Prayer is a communication. It's a conversation. And God has something to say back. When we are bold and we're honest with God because we need Him, we're honestly saying, we actually want to hear what you have to say, God. Right? If, if all it is is complaining to the ceiling, we're never going to have boldness and intimacy. Right? We're just going to have timidity and unassurance because nothing's going to happen in our lives. We have to hear what God has to say back. We're actually asking God, I am suffering. What do you have to say about it? Right? Remember I asked in the beginning, you ever wanted that person that just got you? That could understand and go to that next level with you? Here he is. His name is Jesus. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Jesus, as a high priest, did not just fill some fancy clothing and sprinkle some blood on the mercy seat for us. Right? Jesus walked through it all. He walked in your shoes. That's what it says. He can, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. It's not empathize. He can't just feel bad about it. He experiences it on behalf of you. And so now he, can, he gets you. You don't have to perfectly put all the words in place for him to get it. You just go and say, God, I am scared. And he's like, yeah, I've been there. I was scared once. I was sad. I was lonely. I lived in isolation. I was fearful. I had joy. I had pride. I was hungry. I was homeless. I've been there. You tell me, now watch this, let me tell you who I am. He walked through it all. He's that spouse, that friend, that parent we've all been longing for. And he's got a lot to say about us and a lot to say about what we bring to him in the I feel. He speaks to us most clearly and most often through the Word of God. He has revealed, right? We come with complaining. We come with supplication. We come with explaining our true raw emotions. And he says, okay, let's talk about it. He doesn't stay silent. He is revealed. And we have to test our emotions to the you reveal. The willingness to check the Scripture for God's response is a sign of a gospel remix life. It's a sign that you're not just talking to a fantasy, you're talking to a real person that you have actual access to and you believe He will answer you back with truth that will help you and give you mercy and help in a time of need. That is the sign of a gospel remix life. You're taking your position and you're acting it out in your prayers. 
Intimate prayer starts with I feel, and it searches for the you reveal. When we look at what God said to be true, it should change our prayers. It will mature us. So what is, what is an unmature prayer or a prayer that doesn't check the you reveal? It's something maybe like this. It's, uh, maybe it starts with an, un, an unsecured, unassured status before God. So we come with nervousness, right? So we come and, and we, we use fillers and nervous language. God, Father, Father, Father God, Holy, Holy Father God, God, you are you're God. Father, I, I need you, God, you're Holy God, Father, Lord, God, Jesus, Father God. There's a nervousness to it. There's a nervousness. There's not an assurance in your position as a son of God or daughter of God. There's a nervousness in the way that you pray. A timidity. Maybe it's a prayer that doesn't line up with what the text says. So it's a prayer that says, God, will you be with me tomorrow? Well, the scripture says that he is with you always. He is in you and he is with you and he works through you and he never will forsake you or leave you, right? So he is always with you. So why are we praying that he shows up tomorrow? He's here right now and he will be there tomorrow and he'll be there the next day. So if we look at the scripture and we look at the you reveal and we test the I feel, it should change the way we pray. It should change to the I know you are with me and I'm scared. I'm facing something tomorrow. I've got a lot on my plate and I know you're going to be there. And although I may not see you and I may not feel you, I know according to your word, you are with me. We test the I feel against the you reveal. It might, that, that timid prayer that doesn't test the you reveal might be the, the, the prayer of salvation six and seven times. Right? You make the confession of faith. God, I love you. Will you save me from my soul? Will you save my soul from my sins? Will you, will you give your life in my place? I trust you. I put my faith in you. Save me. And we go forward and we get baptized, and we come back, and then a preacher comes up and says, you're going to hell if you don't love Jesus. You're like, oh, I'm probably going to hell because I did some sin. Jesus, will you save me from my sin? And then you get the next preacher and the next preacher, and you keep praying for that prayer of salvation because you haven't tested the Scripture. You may feel far from God. You may feel like you're not saved, but the Scripture says it is through your confession you are saved, and then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now walk in confidence. Live who you are, a child of God. You may feel far from Him, but He is with you, and he is in you, and you have the power to overcome this world. It doesn't say you're going to be sinless. Nowhere in the scripture does it say you will be sinless if you're, if you're saved by grace. So you don't have to, you don't have to test that feeling of, uh, I don't know if I'm really with you, so I'm just going to pray it just to make sure. Hopefully this one will stick. Might be, um, might be stepping on some toes with these. When I, was a, when, I was in a, when I was a youth pastor, I'd have countless numbers of kids come up to me and tell me how they feel. And they wanted to make decisions for their life on how they feel. I feel like my parents don't like me. My parents don't care. Why is that? Because they never asked me how I'm doing. Would you ever go and tell them that you wish that, did you ever test that against truth? Like, maybe they're just busy. Well, I, I just don't feel like I can talk to them. So what are you going to do? I'm going to run away. Hold on, wait, wait. You're, gonna, you're going to live your life by your emotion and you're not going to check to see what's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell me how that works out for you. Go talk to your parents. My, me and my girlfriend, we were, this is a girl. Me and my girlfriends, we were all talking and now she won't talk to me anymore. She won't text me. She won't respond to me. I think she hates me. We've been friends for like 10 years. I guess I'm just, this relationship's just over. I just feel like she doesn't care anymore. So I'm just going to avoid her. Wait, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. What kind of phone does she have? A Samsung Galaxy? Yeah, well, it's probably not working. 
Oh, snap. No, okay. Um, like, why, why don't you go ask her why she's not responding to your text? Maybe she's not getting them. Maybe there's something wrong on the pathway here. Maybe she's not trying to avoid you. Maybe she's busy. She's got something going on in her life. Why don't you approach her and test it on the you reveal, right? Go find out what's really going on and then live by the truth. And then I had kids who, who didn't test the scriptures, right? I had one kid specifically tell me, I feel like I need to be drunk to know that it's a sin. I was like, what? It's like, I just, I experience life. I don't really, you're telling me I shouldn't drink, but I feel like I should be able to get drunk and then experience that, and then I'll know that it's bad for me. I'm like, if you survive, right? I mean, alcohol poisoning, you get in a car with somebody and end up dead. Like, what do you mean? The scripture has plainly said, do not become drunk. Okay, but I, I need to feel it. Well, well, hold on, whoa, whoa. But this is revealed truth. Do not become drunk. As a matter of fact, Go to Romans 13. You're supposed to submit yourself to the governing authorities. All right? You're not 21. You can't drink. The Scripture says you can't drink, right? Well, no, the Scripture doesn't. The state law does. No, but it says that God puts people in authority over us to help us for the common good. You're supposed to submit yourself to that. They say you can't drink until you're 21. So the Scripture is telling you, one, you can't drink, and two, you shouldn't get drunk. So why do you need to go experience the sin and the potential risk of the consequences to know that it's true? Why are you making your decisions on your feelings? I don't know. And I, I said this to so many kids. I said, hey, listen, wisdom is this. Wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes, right? Wise people learn from other people's mistakes. Or learn from your own mistakes. Wiser people learn from the mistakes of others. They look at the consequences of their mistakes and they decide. And the wisest people learn from the Word of God. So why don't you test your feelings against the Scripture and then change your actions? I feel... You reveal, I, I will. This is where the reverence and the all comes into our prayer life. This is, this is where worship happens, in the I will. Right? So we can go and be completely authentic and raw with God. We can search the scripture. We can ask our friends. We can pray to the, in, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit and get answers and responses. But when you want to worship, when you want your prayer life to be worship, it's got to result in the I will. This is the reverence and the all. What's reverence? It's great respect, deep respect for, who, for God, for someone or something. What's all? It's reverence mixed with fear and wonder. It's, this, this is where worship happens in the, in the all, right? It's, God, you are so holy, I am scared and I want to run away, but I am so enamored I can't move. That's all, right? I mean, that's a high respect and then a decision to stay in worship. If you want the gospel remixed life in your prayers, if you want to get it, if you want to have the intimacy with God that He made through the way that He made through Christ, we've got to get to the I will. Our lives have got to get to the I will. We've got to mature to the I will. We can't stay at the I feel, and we can't just, just sit at the I reveal and then not do what the Word says. We've got to get to the I will. You know why? Because people are watching you pray. Your children are watching you pray, and they're learning how to live their life with God. Disciples, people in your, in your death groups, your friends, they watch you with your experience with God. And if you just stay at the I feel and the timid, uncertain prayers, that's how they learn that God responds to them. We've got to mature beyond that. That's, this, is the, this is a challenge. It's an exhortation. Move to the I will. I will means I will alter my life by what you've revealed to be true. That's what I will is. I will alter and live my life not by how I feel but what I know to be true. I cried out with boldness and audacity. 
I searched the Scriptures and I found your response and now I will alter my faith and my walk with you because you have revealed. I will do what you command. A remixed prayer life means that we submit to the will of God. His will above our own. His will be done, not, not that we tack it on. Maybe that's one of those timid, unassured prayers. God, will you hear this person from cancer? But if you don't, you know, your, your will be done. We tack it on because we didn't have a faith that he would actually heal them from cancer, right? We just tack on the your will be done. No, the I will prayer life, this mature prayer life, this remix, this gospel remix prayer life, is it starts with, I want your will above all things, God. And this is how I feel, and this is what you've said, so I'm going to listen to you. It starts with his will. I will means his will. Do you get that? Does that make sense? I will listen to you means I'm pursuing your will above mine. That's where we got to get. We see that all through the Psalms. This is how David prayed. God, when are you going to stop all my enemies? When are you going to stop all this suffering? When are you going to stop all this pain? What's wrong with you? But you're the God of Zion. You're the God of Israel. You're the one who has power over darkness and sin. Okay, so I'll trust you. I feel like I'm suffering and you're not with me, but this is who you are, so I'll trust you. I will wait on you. I will stand and fight in your name. Right? I mean, that was David's prayer over and over and over. Just look at the Psalms. Start at one and read to the end, and you'll find like a thousand versions of it. Right? I mean, that's how he did. But the best person that taught us the I will part of prayer is who? Jesus. He's the ultimate example of the I will. In the last parts of his life, the last day of this full day of life on earth, he was with his disciples and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? And in Matthew, it's recorded that he's in the garden and he says, hey guys, you stay here for a little while. I'm going to go talk to the Father. And you just kind of keep watch. And he goes a, a little ways off and we can assume he was there for about an hour. Right? We know he was there for about an hour because he comes back and he's like, what, you couldn't stay awake, awake for an hour? Right? He, that's what he says to his to Peter, James, and John, he's like, what's wrong with you guys? I just, I just left for a little bit. What's, come on. You're that tired? I'm praying to the Father. And in that hour, you know what the only thing we have recorded him saying? I feel. God, I'm scared. Will you take this cup from me if there's any way possible? I do not want to go to this cross. I am frightened. I am so frightened that I am bleeding sweat. Right? I'm sweating blood. The capillaries in my skin, I'm so under the stress of what is coming, that my capillaries are bursting and I am sweating blood. Will you take this cup from me? Raw, authentic I feel. And there's the unspoken moment of you reveal. Right? Where he's, he's wrestling with the conversation that he had with himself in heaven. We've got to do this in order to reunite the people. We, this, is, this is the plan. This is the only way. And then what does it end with? Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And then he goes and he, and he wakes up his disciples. He's like, guys, come on. I just, can you just stay awake for just a little bit longer? I've got to go back and talk to Dad. Seriously? Is there any possible way this cup could pass? I don't want to drink it. I'm just making sure you, you heard me the first time. Just making sure you know how I really feel about this and all of my humanity. I am petrified of what they're going to do to me tomorrow. I've already told them 50 times what they're going to do and they don't get it but I know it's coming. I know they're going to flog me. I know they're going to spit on me. I know they're going to beat me. I know they're going, to, they're going to hit me with a cat of nine tails. They're going to rake me down the road and make me carry a heavy cross, and then they're going to nail me to it, and they're going to leave me there until I suffocate and die. Please, if you can take this cup, 
What you got? There's a moment of you reveal, and then it ended with, not my will, but your will be done. And he got up, and he went willingly to the chains. That is a remixed prayer life, right? He gets the gospel. He's the example of the gospel. That's where we've got to get. We can't stop at the religion of prayer. We've got to build the intimacy with God over time and authentic, raw emotion in the I feel. We've got to go to the reveal and build boldness and confidence in our status with God. And then it needs to change how we live our life with the I will. So what? Maybe prayer is not your thing. It's not, it's not a discipline of your life. It's not something you do. I just want to encourage you to just start talking to God. You're driving down the street. You're on the road. Turn the music off and just talk to God. It doesn't have to be for 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be for 30 seconds. Just tell God what's going on in your life. He cares for you so much. He just wants to hear it. And when we put voice to it, it changes our heart about it. It's amazing power to prayer to change our hearts. Just start talking to Him. And don't, don't worry about the... The rest of it, just start with the I feel. But if you walked with God for a long time, I want to challenge you to start thinking about what that means, the testing that you reveal. Listen to your prayers. Do your prayers line up with what Scripture says? Are you praying, God, will you come? Are you praying, God, you are here? Are you praying, God, be with me? Are you praying, God, because I know the truth of the Scriptures, you are with me? Are your prayers aligned with the Scripture? And then is your life aligned with what you know to be true? Are you living in the I feel or are you living in the His will? That's the challenge. That's the exhortation of today. Fans going to come up. We're going to worship. We're going to respond to God. And I hope I kind of maybe stepped on your toes a little bit. But then I hope that you have a, an understanding of your absolute access to the throne of grace. And then you start start taking advantage of that unrestricted access because of the work of Christ and live in a gospel remix prayer life. Let's pray.